Good morning, Cross Point Peach Tree City family, along with those of you who may be joining in with us this morning from beyond our church family. Thanks for bringing the church into this video stream. If we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church. The guys I say each and every week who gets the privilege most weeks of unpacking the scriptures as we come together. Speaking of unpacking the scriptures, this past Sunday, uh, if you weren't around, uh, we launched a new sermon series, one that's going to actually carry us all the way up to the season of Advent through the fall months, a series entitled Songs of Ascent, a study of 15 particular psalms within the book of Psalms, namely Psalms 120 through 134. As I mentioned last week, the book of Psalms, it's been referred to as the hymn book of the Old Testament, a, a collection of, of songs to be sung by God's people in response to his goodness, glory, and grace. The, the Spotify playlist of the people of God before there was Spotify. This series, it's an invitation to, to put in our proverbial headphones, so to speak, and listen to an album within that hymn book. An album that the Israelites would have been incredibly familiar with as they made it their playlist in traveling to Jerusalem several times a year for the different Jewish feasts and festivals. A playlist that continues to bear significance in the lives of God's people today as we travel down this rugged road of discipleship. Many of us, the book of Psalms is a go-to for us often as Christians. It invites us to, to cry out to God with the full range of human emotions. I mean, we're talking about a 15-song album that is incredibly musically diverse, capturing the fullness of the human condition, the fullness of the human experience, incredibly honest, Filled not only with songs of praise, but songs of lament. Not only songs of thanksgiving and remembrance, but songs of wisdom and confidence. Made up of lyrics, if you were around for our Summer Psalms series a few years back, lyrics that find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who came to put a song in the very mouth of God himself, a song of delight over his beloved that you and I might have a reason ourselves to sing in response to his redemptive grace in our lives. With that said, I invite you to open up your Bible this morning to Psalm 121. That's where we'll be. If you don't have a Bible uh, or you don't own a Bible, you can go to www.esv.org and you'll find the translation that we'll be walking through together that'll be up on the, the screen with the slides alongside of this morning's preaching. That's a free resource. Feel free to utilize that. Let me go ahead and, and pray for us and we'll jump in and we'll get into this particular glorious song on the album together. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning asking you to minister to the weakness of our understanding, to illumine to us your word that we might Walk away with a, a deeper grasp of divine truth. I pray that you would convict us of indwelling sin by your spirit. And I pray that you would encourage us to faith where we need it as you attend the preaching of your word in power. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. So going back to last week, as we framed this thing, this series, I mentioned that few albums begin with lullabies, though some of the best ones do. The, the smiled upon formula for any good album is that the lead off track would get your blood pumping. Not so with this 15 song album, however, going back to last week, if you were around, you notice that it begins with an individual lament, not the most glamorous or, or energetic track on the album. 
communicating something in and of itself of the honesty of the Christian life, the reality of what it is to, to live east of Eden amidst the backdrop of a fallen, broken world. That first song, it's a, it's a declaration of homesickness in a faraway land surrounded by strangers and, and enemies, lies and deception, hatred and hostility, surrounded on all sides by a world not his home, longing for something better, as many of us could completely align with, on his pilgrimage to the city of God. It's a reminder that, that the road of discipleship, it begins with discontentment coming to the end of ourselves and the promises of this broken world. Going back to a quote from last week, Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he says, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely, he says, to risk the arduous uncertainties of a life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Psalm 120, you could say, sets the stage for the Christian journey, reminding us that, that the Christ follower is, follower is both a disciple and a pilgrim, always learning and always moving, committed to the, the rugged journey of discipleship that finds its destination in the very presence of God. The, the second song on the album, Song 121, it's a song of providence, the perfect follow-up to the lead-off track. Right, with the treacherous journey before him, the psalmist now declares his confidence in God's never-ceasing provision and care. A song that, that surely resonates in the hearts of God's people to this day as we navigate the difficulties of the journey before us on our way to the celestial city of God. He says, picking up in verse 1 of Psalm 121, he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist lifts up his eyes to the hills, looking out on this journey before him, which some scholars believe to be hills of, of comfort, the hills of Jerusalem, the very dwelling place of God, his holy habitation, a place of refuge. As we see elsewhere in the Psalms, Psalm 48, verses 1 through 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Or how about Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, the hills, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Right, we know that the songs of ascent are a playlist for the road on a journey that finds its destination on the mount of God in the city of God. However, most scholars believe that the psalmist is not looking to hills of comfort but rather hills of danger that he must cross on the way to that glorious city. As the, the psalm itself has as its repeating theme, the providence of God in preserving his people on a journey filled with peril. 
the Palestinian mountains, they made for a really good hiding place for those seeking to rob travelers of their possessions so that few would have questioned Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan for its realism. The story of a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho who fell among robbers and was stripped, beaten, and left for dead. The hills were, were a reminder of the dangers of the journey. Dangers not just circumstantial, but spiritual. The Palestinian hills were also the pedestals on which the altars of pagan gods were oftentimes erected to be worshipped in exchange for safe passage, be it the moon god, the sun god, or the many other gods promising protection. The psalmist lifts his eyes up to the hills, aware of the, the many dangers associated with the journey, and he asks the question, from where does my help come? This psalm, first and foremost, it's a cry for help. It's an acknowledgement that the psalmist can't do it on his own. Flying in the face of the great Benjamin Franklin who popularized the statement, God helps those who help themselves. Psalm 121, it's a declaration that, no, God helps those who are willing to acknowledge their desperate need for God. One of, the, one of the most difficult statements for an affluent suburbanite to make is, I need help. It's even hard for some of us to walk over to our neighbor's house and say, I need a cup of sugar. I need help. A statement that requires humility. An acknowledgement that the journey isn't always easy. This psalm, first and foremost, brings us face to face with the question of whether or not we have the Christian maturity to admit that we need help. It's only from that place of humility, that place of dependence, that we can begin to wrestle with the psalmist's question. From where does my help come? And there are just as many altars sitting atop just as many hills today as there were in the psalmist's day. Functional saviors promising a safe passage if only we will bow down in worship, if only we will make the, the appropriate sacrifices with our lives. So that one of the questions that I would put before us this morning is this, if you were in the psalmist's shoes, which altar might you be most tempted to bow down to? Maybe it's the God of approval, perhaps the God of money, the God of comfort, or the God of politics all beckoning us right now in our moment, just a few of the elevated altars commanding the worship of weary and worried modern-day travelers. From where does my help come, he asks. Donald Williams, in his commentary, he says this, he says, we are of the earth and must look up to heaven. We need help far beyond our own limited resources and our human answers Modern man has been infected with the myth of autonomy, the myth of self-sufficiency. He has been told to be the captain of his own fate, the commander of his own destiny. Yet a simple virus can fell him. By the way, that commentary was written in 1989. I don't know if this man has the gift of prophecy or what, but he says, yet a simple virus can fell him. The road to recovery from such illusions is one word, he says, help. It is the admission that I have to ask someone for something beyond myself. In one sense, this psalm, it's a declaration of allegiance. The psalmist's refusal to, to turn to other gods for help should the journey prove to be treacherous and, and difficult. That regardless of, of how we 
interpret the hills to which the psalmist lifts his eyes, he doesn't find his hope in those hills. Rather, he runs beyond the hills to the Lord, the maker of the hills, the one who made heaven and earth. Verse two, Yahweh, God's name in relation to his covenant people, the name by which God revealed himself to Moses in promising to lead his Exodus people safely to the land of Canaan. The name that emphasizes God's covenant faithfulness, his commitment to fighting for his people. That as Christians, our help doesn't come from some impersonal force, but rather a personal covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. A God mighty in power. A God having brought about the universe by virtue of his authoritative decree. How did God bring forth the elements that make up this glorious cosmic divine theater? The stage on which his great redemptive historical drama would play out? Answer, he spoke. Creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, having established the universe without the use of any pre-existing material, having shaped his unformed creation into a glorious stage. The stage on which man would dwell with God. The stage on which man would rebel against God. The stage on which all of the Old Testament shadows that point to Jesus would be established. The stage on which Jesus would take on human flesh and die in the place of sinners. The stage on which the church would be established and sustained. And the stage on which Jesus will return and wipe away all sin and sadness forever. That theater-forming God who commands the wind and the waves such that we can't even guess it right a few hours ahead of time, and moment by moment holds the cosmic stage lighting of sun, moon, and stars in their place, that God of boundless power is committed to wielding his power in keeping his people on their perilous journey to glory. From where does our help come? Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The remainder of this psalm is simply an unpacking of that truth. He says in verses 3 and 4, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. You'll notice that the pronouns shift at this point from I and my in the first couple of verses to you and your. Either communicating one of two things. One, either the psalmist is speaking to a fellow traveler in close proximity on this treacherous journey, reminding us that we're in this together? Or he's speaking to himself the way that people sometimes do when they're afraid and are looking to muster up courage. You're fine. You're, you're okay, Jamie. There's, there's nothing to be afraid of. That, kind of. that kind of talking. Or as we would say around here, a preaching of the gospel to yourself. Either way, it communicates something of both the reality of the danger and the fear, showing us something of our need to proclaim the truth to each other and to ourselves in the midst of sin, in the midst of unbelief. The word keep, it's repeated six different times throughout the remainder of this psalm, translated in some of our Bibles using the language of guarding, watching over, protecting, maybe preserving so that regardless of translation, there's a clear driving theme to this particular song. The theme of God's providential care for his people. 
both corporately and individually, that the God who preserved Israel as a people, verse four, he's the same God who preserves each of us individually and intimately, verse three. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never grows wearisome in keeping his people, unlike the so-called gods of paganism who couldn't be trusted, which is why Elijah mockingly asked the prophets of Baal, 1 Kings 18, whether their God might be sleeping as Baal was thought to do, known to do in the summer months. If you're a parent, maybe this will resonate with you. My youngest daughter, Quinn, she just turned five recently. Over the course of the last couple years, she's had some of those nights where her fear would consume her. There were certain things that would enter her mind and make it difficult for her to go to sleep at night. And Though we didn't make a practice of this, there were certainly a few moments along the way where I would commit myself to sitting in the rocking chair in their room as both of our girls slept in their beds just so that they knew that I was there and I was awake and I was present. And I would sit there for several minutes and just wait for them to fall asleep. And they eventually would, knowing that their daddy was there and awake and present. But the reality is at some point I had to step away from that shift because I have to sleep too. Daddy has to go to his own bed and get some sleep of his own. Otherwise he would be worthless the next morning in terms of parenting the next day. Not true with God. Our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never has to go to his own bed. We can rest in knowing that our help comes from the Lord who never sleeps. What that means is that you and I can. We can sleep. We can rest because God doesn't on our behalf. He goes on in verses five and six to say, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Your shade on your right hand, not only declaring something of the nearness of God, a God who's closer than the hills, he's near, he's beside us, he's with us, but also declaring something of God's commitment to guarding our weak side. A warrior shield, it was typically carried in the left hand, making his right side vulnerable to attack so that he needed a fellow warrior on his right side to, to protect him in the midst of battle. What this psalm is saying is that God is that warrior for his people. Psalm 16.8 says it this way. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I shall not be shaken. But God stands at the right hand of his covenant people, preserving them amidst a sea of dangers, both day and night, sun and moon. His shade-like nearness not only a protection against the circumstantial deadly rays of the Palestinian sun, like the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness, but more broadly, declaring something of a refreshment to our souls, this God, as the scorching difficulties of life would seek to drain us of our strength. As Isaiah says in chapter 25, verse 4 of his writing, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. That's our God a protection and refreshment that carries into the night. Again, a declaration that our God never sleeps on his people. 
The language of being moonstruck, verse six, it's the language ancient writers use to, to describe emotional struggles from anxiety to, to mental illness, driving at, at the inner struggles of what it is to be human. The challenge is not only outside of ourselves, but within. God is our comforter. God is our, God is our keeper with us in both toil and rest, the sweat of day and the sleep of night preserving us amidst every vulnerability to attack, both within ourselves and beyond ourselves as we journey to this great celestial city of God, the new Jerusalem. He closes out this this great song with these words in verses seven and eight. He says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Final lyrics of this song, they're incredibly comprehensive, right? All evil, you're going out and you're coming in from this time forth, now and forevermore. Many scholars argue that the use of that kind of comprehensive language, it drives at the idea that the journey to Jerusalem is a parable for life, capturing the fullness of the human experience declaring that nothing in a believer's life is beyond the keeping hand of God. A declaration that that our God is a God who sustains and preserves his people as they journey down this rugged road of discipleship that truly does find its destination in him. Which is not to say that that we won't face difficulties in this life. As though to become a Christian is to become problem free. The psalmist doesn't downplay the dangers of life in a fallen world, nor does he pretend they don't exist. He names them. To to say that the Christian life is a life absent of hardships, a life absent of of struggles, well, that, that would undermine the very intention behind the writings of these very lyrics. Birthed out of a need for help in the midst of present difficulty. That there are real dangers in the world in which we live as we travel to the heavenly Mount Zion. However, there is no danger that has the final word for those who are in Christ. One of the most famous passages of Scripture in all the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, Paul asks, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Christian draws confidence in looking above the hills of danger to the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth. The one who sent his son to rescue us from the greatest peril that we might know the inseparable love of God. So that if you're not a Christian, my prayer for you this morning is that you would turn from the elevated altars that you've been looking to for safe passage, whatever those altars may be, that you would look above the the hills to the one who sent his son to rescue us from the greatest danger of all, the peril of our sin. 
That Jesus died in the place of sinners like you and me so that we might be restored to the keeping God of Psalm 121, sealing the promise of our eternal protection and care with his own blood. I invite you this morning to, to turn to him in faith, to know the joy and peace of a relationship with a God who's closer than the hills to his redeemed. And if you are a Christian, my prayer for you is that you would be encouraged by the words of this pilgrim song, a song that has the power to put steel in the spines of our souls as it declares that, that we can anticipate the valley of the shadow of death, knowing that we can face even that darkest of valleys because the God of Psalm 20, 121 is with us, keeping us until we arrive safely in his presence, the place of joy forever. Paul says it this way in a couple of different places in his writings. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. He says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the key phrase. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He's the keeping God of Psalm 121. Or how about 2 Timothy 4, 18? Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God will bring me to the end of this pilgrimage, to the end of this journey. We may face dangers along the way, perhaps even the danger of death itself. Should Jesus not tarry? Or should Jesus tarry, I should say? But, but our... Our God, according to Psalm 121, will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom where peril and death shall be no more. As we journey down that rugged road, that rugged road of discipleship toward that heavenly city, may we never cease to, to look to the hills for the help we need, but rather beyond those hills, above those hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth.